This week's episode is brought to you in part by FNX Fit, a fitness supplements brand that can get you hooked up with all of your pre, post, during workout needs as well as other nutritional supplements. Use checkout code CARLPOOLING at fnxfit.com to get 15% off your order. I've started a GoFundMe. Oh, uh, did you get the COVID? No, no. Although, cancer. Nope, no cancer. Uh, and I'm not late on my car payments, and I didn't lose my job for being a irredeemable waste of space. No, Hunter, this is, it's actually an yeah. altruistic GoFundMe this time around. Oh, okay, great. There are literally thousands of abuelas in this world. <laughs> Some of them are in Puerto Rico. And one of them in particular is Anastasio Ocasio-Cortez's sweet dear abuela. And, you know, I'm not, I've never been motivated by generosity before, Hunter. It's just not something that I do. Yes, you are a greedy capitalist. When I saw how much egg you could put on AOC's face at one time... Simply by starting a fundraiser, mm-hmm. I all of a sudden realized that I was, I am, I'm a philanthropist at heart. Wow. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Thank you. How many uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars did you donate to her, her abuela? Let's see. Here's the thing, Hunter. I'm obviously copying Matt Walsh here from DailyWire.com. Oh. What I realized is that I could donate any amount of money or pledge any amount of money that I wanted to because if the source of the money was sufficiently right wing, she would refuse it. So I, I actually pledged to donate $35 trillion. Wow. To the Abuela fund. Wow. That's really kind of you. Thank you. Well, I'm just that generous Hunter. (laughs) Nice. What a joke. (laughs) What a joke. What an absolute joke. Can we just say for just a second, if your abuela needs money, there's an old joke, Hunter. There's an old joke. And it's this. Why the chicken crossed the road? It's about this old lady. I'm just ignoring that. Uh, It's about this old lady. And she's sitting on her porch. And she's praying and she's praying. And the reason she's praying is because she's exceptionally poor and she doesn't have any groceries. And so she sits there and she prays. And she says, she, she. has a neighbor that walks by and he's an atheist and he goes look at her she's so stupid she's praying for groceries when she could be out you know asking for money or getting a job or doing something like that this stupid woman she's praying for groceries and every morning he walked by and asked her if she needed any help and she go nope i trust in god all right so kind of hocus pocus sure one day he decides that he's going to bring her groceries and she just starts partying uh he, he leaves them on her front porch and like they just miraculously appeared there, and then he sits in the bushes to watch her, you know, you know, to trick her to make her think that God hand delivered her groceries. And she gets out on the front porch, saying, "Oh, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you so much, thanks for these groceries." And then he springs out of the bush and goes, "Aha! It was me. There's no God. I I brought the groceries. I'm God now." And she keeps <laughs> praying. She goes, "Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me groceries and making Satan pay for them." <laughs> it's a it's a 
a five as far as jokes are concerned. Right. The point, right. though, is that if you need help, you don't care where it comes from. And if it comes from a source you don't like, that's fine. You know, all the better. Um, obviously, this is just a total sham. AOC posted these pictures of her dilapidated ancestral home of her abuela and then was like, no, but actually, I don't want that problem to be solved. Really right. sick when you're like, let's not solve the problem that I'm trying to get everyone's attention about. So, right. oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, no, it became clear that she used her family for political gain. And that's why the GoFundMe happened, was because it was to call her out on that. And it was right. Yeah. Um, It's ridiculous. Although, I think it would have been been really cool there. And this is kind of what Carl pulling the show is all about. Wouldn't it have been cool if AOC and Matt Walsh talked? And they're like, look, we disagree on, like, everything. And we're not the best representations of either of our sides, necessarily, on that disagreement. However, Mm -hmm. we both care about people. And I don't want your abuela to suffer, and you don't want your abuela to suffer, and I'm willing to donate at least $500 of my own money and some of my time, even if it was political. What you did was political. What I did was political. But now here's $100,000. Why don't we talk about the differences and talk about the similarities? Like That could have been a really important, interesting conversation. You You're know? actually right. There's, there's a world where AOC goes, I see you started this GoFundMe, and you know what? I'm going to match every $5 with a dollar that gets donated and give it straight to my abuela. You know, like that, like something like that where it like, it, you know, like you synergize on it instead of like creating more division and derision. Yeah. Um, that would have been great. That would have been it, really cool. Can, like those two shouldn't talk. Like, it, like there's no way right. that those two actually have a conversation. But if they did, it might be really great, especially in the context of let's drop the pretense for a second and do something nice for each other. Yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, what a beautiful world that might be. Unfortunately, that's not the world that we live in. You live in the world of carpooling. Carpooling the show <laughs> that wouldn't be here if there weren't so many darn stupid political hucksters out there. But thank you, anyways, for joining us. It's a show between two brothers. That's me and Hunter, the main cast, if you hadn't followed that thread so far. We were born of the same parentage. That's what, what? makes us brothers. Oh, oh okay, yeah. And that's yeah. why we share the surname... Carl. Hunter, help me out. Is surname the last name or the first name? Oh, I I am not a good Brit. I think I it's a terrible Brit. I, I think it's your surname is your last name and then your Christian name is your first name. I'm pretty sure like once we got off the boat in Roanoke, we all kind of looked at each other and said, Hey, that Christian name thing's pretty dumb, right? <laughs> Let's call it last because it's the one at the end. Right, exactly. It's like, this is getting way too complicated. First, last. You are John Smith. First name John, last name Smith. Done. Done. (laughs) And your children shall also be named John Smith. And one day in the distant future, we might allow a Gregory. But don't count on (laughs) it. Regardless, this is a complete aside. Welcome to Carpooling. Show between two brothers. A show that will get you fired. Why will it get you fired, I hear you ask? Well, here's the answer. Dear listener, it's because we talk about all the things you're not allowed to have an opinion on, like politics, religion, philosophy, science, art, literature, culture, etc. ad nauseum. So, we appreciate that you join us once again. We've got a, uh, a fun topic this week, in my opinion. We're going to talk a little bit uh, of foreign policy, a little international geopolitical goings-on, and I always like those discussions. So, before we get into that, Hunter, please bestow upon us 
and the humble listeners, the roadkill. Not that I didn't take the best story from you with the intro, because there is truly nothing more roadkillish than Abuelas at this point. But I hope you have a, a backup in reserve. I do have a spicy nugget in reserve. Um, she's been winning uh, my choice for the past couple of weeks here pretty often. Uh, we're back with Kamala Harris, uh, Vice President and Queen of America, uh, <laughs> your favorite lady. Um, as you remember, Christopher, Donald Trump was a very, very bad, mean man because he wore a red hat and he told people they couldn't come to America. And as you know, this country was built on be- on people being told they could come to America. So That's it was right. very important, very, very, very important that he wasn't allowed to do that, just like Hitler did. Um, so Kamala yeah, Harris... Yeah, remember when Hitler said people couldn't come to America? That was weird. He did say that. It was really strange. That he just kind of stopped sense. in the middle the, of his speech. I'm going to be honest. Speaking. The Japanese didn't listen at all, almost. <laughs> I feel like they had wanton disregard for his predilections. Yeah, they wanted a nice little vacation, and they uh, bit off a little bit more they could chew, yeah. um, to put it mildly. Uh, so They Kamala awakened Harris, a, a sleeping nuclear missile, oh, as I think no. the, the ancient saying goes. That is the ancient saying. It's completely correct. What a blow uh, for them. Yeah. Anyway, Hunter, Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris, Queen of America, your favorite lady, uh, went to Guatemala uh, on a little trip. Gonna go see some folks, you know, check in with the country. See how oh my god, doing. I cannot deal with another abuela. <laughs> if, <laughs> if this is another abuela hiding out in Guatemala, I need another week, Hunter. So, it's not. You're okay. welcome. It does involve maybe some abuelas, but definitely not a abuela. Um, Kamala Harris tells Guatemalans not to migrate to the United States. All right. <laughs> so... <laughs> In a pure Trumpian fashion, uh, Kamala Kamala Harris stood in front of uh, these Guatemalans and said, don't come, don't come (laughs) to America, (laughs) verbatim. Was it, were they like, was it a specific group of Guatemalans? Like, was she at a Guatemalan prison? Christopher, you know I didn't read the article that deeply. A Guatemalan meeting of pedophiles anonymous, or was it just... What I'm saying, was there another reason? I'm trying to give her the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> she basically was saying, if you come to America now, you'll be turned away, and you'll spend all that money on those coyotes, and that it won't make you any better off. You'll get turned back to Guatemala, and it'll be super sad. And that was kind of her point, um, which is you and I kn- both know, Chris. Not actually true. Not actually true. They're kind of letting everybody go in and hang out and overfill the... Uh, the retention facilities along the border. Um, everybody gets in. It just takes a little while. Right. Uh, so, but they're really, really struggling with the amount of people coming in, as you know, and uh, reinstating a lot of Trump's uh, children in cages uh, facilities, if you will. Well, well, and, and also children being stored under freeways, <laughs> which was never a thing under Trump. It's almost like right. what we were saying three months ago, and by the way, throughout the entire Trump presidency, when you simply invite everyone into your country and have no means or methods of keeping up or, or integrating them, and they show up at the border, it creates a crisis um, hmm. and that you should change your rhetoric so as to prevent one. It's almost like they all of a sudden heard us, but, you know, in a in a back to the future four months ago kind of way. Are you saying there's a border 
Crisis? Hunter. <laughs> I, I think now is a fair time to inform the listeners that Hunter has started his internship at the Huffington Post. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, that was pretty good straight-faced denial, though. I like that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's... Uh, you know, it, it's quite the difference between the campaign uh, rhetoric and the now I have to wear the the red hat rhetoric. Um, you know, I have to be queen of America. And so yeah. the tone and tenor of it all changes. Uh, the thing I think that's a little um, cr- crazy to me is the fact that, well, it seems campaign rhetoric is actually damaging to America's well-being. Um, and not in just like, oh, what they said really offends me and makes me scared for our future, but in actual material ways that people react and treat America, you hmm. know, because you see what I'm saying there? Yeah. And so so there's a there's a reason for politicians, and this is, you, you know, I, I don't think I thought about this differently. I just think more so about, I just am more convinced by it. There's a reason for politicians to be extremely careful with not only what they say in uh, positions of power, but also as they campaign. Uh, and Kamala Harris has proven that with uh, so much egg on her face, even uh, uh, AOCs of Blalo wouldn't know what to do with it. Yeah, it's so a, there you are. It's a it's a veritable uh, slight like what am I what am I uh, what's the word for it? Semi important figures in politics omelet over here this morning, Hunter. <laughs> I think I think it's just a wonderful a wonderful. Uh, example they all went to to fujihana and when they did the bit when they're making the fried rice where they cut up the egg and try and fling it in your mouth they used 17 eggs for each person and shotgunned it with three of those spatulas in their hands held together clumsily um it's it's a it's an amazing amount of egg to the face here is there anyone less likable than Kamala Harris other than potentially me with an overwrought <laughs> metaphor about about Asian cuisine and egg flinging <laughs> sport? I don't know. All I, I know, know is when I look at her face and I see her laugh and I think about her origins into the political the political ecosphere, I think I wouldn't Anyhow, moving right along to our top story today, Hunter. Yeah. Today we are going to talk about the G7. Now, what is like the a, G7, Hunter? Um, it's a group of U.S. and other important European nations. Um, do I know what those seven are? Probably. <laughs> Here we uh, go. Here's the quiz. Seven okay. countries... You got the free space, which is the United States of America, and Boom. that leaves you with six behind. Hunter, begin. Daddy, otherwise known as United Kingdom. Yes. Um, then probably uh, France. Correct. Evil uncle. Um, Germany. That's very correct. evil uncle. <laughs> very naughty uncle. Germany is it, on the list. Yes. Italy. That's correct. Okay, I got two left. Spain. Uh, I'm going to encourage you to leave continent. China? What? China's not one. No. Great point. I knew that. Neither is Uh, Spain. Okay. Uh, Antarctica. Um, Probably not. Australia. Boom. Look at that. Wrong. Very dirty. Oh, never mind. Man, these two are tripping you up. Let's Uh, keep going. I'm enjoying this, though. 
is is it it's russia is not European one of them cont- though because yeah. yeah yeah that that wouldn't they wouldn't make the list huh israel no hunter okay. no hmm. uh, hunter. brazil brazil <laughs> look up not down look up oh okay uh Canada. Canada's on the list. Canada's Canada. there. Little Trudy. Trudy showed up to talk. He's our he's our brother that kind of likes dad. You now, know what Hunter, I mean? you're only missing one. Urgh. And we've already talked about them on the show. Japan. That's right. Nice. The comeback kid themselves, Japan. No doubt about it. Yeah. <laughs> Little America, as I like to call them. Chip off the old block. <laughs> Chip off the old block sitting in the rubble of a very old block. Uh-huh. Now, those are the G7 countries. And as you guys might know, there was a got very... Got first try. Huh? I got them all first try. Yeah, well, Hunter got them all first try. If you <laughs> if you, you just skip to this point, Hunter got them all first try. Uh, <laughs> scrub Scrub back three minutes. To, to hear it, it's, it truly is amazing. Mm. You know what would be fun, Hunter, is if I just if we cut yes. this and I just asked you again and you just drilled them and we just edited that in. Um, I love it. Let's not do it, though, because that means more work for me. So <laughs> those are the G7 countries. And as some of you may know, they met this week. There was a summit, and technically last week, where they met and they decided to correlate on some global tax policies. And I know what you're thinking one world government but just wait to see how right you are no i'm just kidding it's not exactly like an illuminati conspiracy theory however i will say that when i saw these policies i was disturbed for for multiple reasons one of them is that i think they're bad for the members of these countries and secondary to that i think that integrating tax policy with other countries is a way to give up a lot of your autonomy really quickly. So mm-hmm. I think we should break it down, talk about it, and that's what we will do now. So Hunter, there's basically two pillars of okay. the agreement that everyone signed. One is a agreement that changes internal policy, but aligns internal policy between all the member nations. And another pillar is specifically dealing with the multinational policy of certain large multinational corporations. So let's go through them. The first policy dictates that all signees of the agreement are going to have a minimum corporate interest rate of 15%. Now, this currently isn't very high. And Joe Biden was actually pushing for 21%. But that, that is the first pillar. And the reason being a global minimum tax rate, and of course this isn't the whole globe, but this is the direction that we're heading. A global minimum, minimum tax rate dissuades countries from offshoring when corporate tax rates are raised too high in their home country. Sure. We've kind of seen a little microcosm of this between Florida and New York, right, Hunter? And, or Florida right. and California, or Texas right. and California, or the past couple of years. And we've talked about it before on the show. We've seen this in Georgia with filming just exploding in around, you know, around Atlanta and things like that. Yeah. Um, and moving from Hollywood into uh, the peach state, so to speak. Yeah, and, and that basically looked like 
you provide tax incentives for people to come work and run businesses in your local area, mm-hmm. and they will leave other areas to do that. Mm. Now, on the corporate tax structure schedule, at the moment, the areas where companies are incorporated is where they pay taxes, right? It's the reason that you see a lot of your cruise ships that you go on when you want to get drunk and forget about work, that that you see that the ships sail out of the Bahamas or they're sailing out of Nassau or another island country because the tax environment is much more friendly over there. And that also changes some of the labor laws. You know, some of these, a lot of the workers on those ships, for instance, are not paid what would be considered American minimum wage because they do not have to. They're incorporated out of a a different country. And that dictates the, the mode of their operation. Just one example. There's, there's plenty more. However, the tax flight is a real problem. And Joe Biden has expressed interest in raising the corporate tax rate in America up to as much as 28%, which is fairly significant, especially when you consider that corporate taxes are double taxes. It's taxing money that will then be taxed again and has already been taxed. And the, the raising of a global minimum and what you would call, you know, the G7, the largest societies and economies in the world makes less of a disparity in those tax rates so that there's less incentive for companies to like big companies like let's say apple to leave california and move to let's say paris you know yeah you know know what i'm saying does that make sense yes it does all right good and that's a bit of a problem honestly uh in my opinion what's your initial reaction to it hunter because i think i think sometimes folks don't don't grok tax policy completely. I know we all would like to keep our own money, but when we're talking about corporate tax rate, that can feel a little distant to us. Sure, yeah. I think I think one way you have to think about it is the, the healthier a business, right, the more profits a business has, the more um, it can do several things. It can invest in new uh businesses it can invest in new markets new products new services right which means more than likely more people get hired right and right. come to work for the co- come to work for the company so it creates jobs um they can pay their employees higher salaries right which is great uh if they have more revenue uh they can retain top talent things like that um and there is a part of it that, you know, is sort of crummy, which is the people who own those businesses can enjoy more of the profits. Now, that's only crummy because there's an idea that those people haven't earned those profits. right? Sure. And it, it's, it is their business. It is their um, company that they've created. Uh, the benefit to having, you know, like a corporate structure like that and having the double taxation that you're kind of talking about and having the business get taxed is – you know, the people who work for that business are not liable. The people who own that business are not liable for it. And so the government kind of creates this weird structure where there's a business entity that exists. And then um, and then there's you since the double taxation problem that you described. So, you know, you want if you want a really healthy, strong business, uh, one of the things that you want is a lower corporate tax rate. Uh, that that makes sense. Uh, you want to balance that against the idea of 
you know, the public goods and services that that business utilizes, roads, military, things of those natures that they that they absolutely take a part of mm-hmm. uh, and, and utilizing it and enjoying, right? And, you know, the balance between all that is kind of where politics happens. So the fact that you don't want... Um, the thing that this global tax rate does is there are opportunities for American businesses uh, to participate in selling goods and services in other countries. Um, and those can provide plenty of benefits to those companies, plenty of benefits to the people working here at home and vice versa, and just make those companies more and more profitable. It also just creates jobs in different countries. You know, we have a lot of, uh, foreign cars that are made in the United States, but provide jobs to Americans who are working in, you know, uh, factories in Idaho and things like that, which, you know, yeah, it says Toyota, but it's an American getting a paycheck, right? Sure. Um, so, so that's good too. Um, when you, however, just like every other business, different businesses, especially international businesses are working on a margin, right? And when yeah. that margin gets too high or, uh, um, just depending on where it is, uh, it can disenfranchise businesses that were in the black. It can push them into the red. And so, you know, one thing that you want to allow in a global setting to some extent is to allow for foreign countries to compete for other businesses, good and services. And they can do that in a variety of ways. Uh, Corporate tax rate is an excellent way to do that. You know, if you perform actions in this country and receive revenue in this country, you only have to pay 5% uh, taxes on that instead of the uh, the 15% or the 21% you would at home. Um, anyway, that, I, I that, not, that's the macrocosm of what we're seeing locally, right? That's the macrocosm right. of, of states. Like, remember we talked about earlier this year, or maybe it was last year, actually, about AOC turning Amazon away and then other yes. companies offering tax, tax, uh, breaks to Amazon to come bring a bunch of jobs into their community. You know, there there's Biden's infrastructure, let's save America, build back better plan, which just build it throws back. a ton of money at the economy to try and build jobs. And we've all seen jobs stagnate mm-hmm. over the last couple of months. We're missing our job numbers for going on three months now. But on the other of the other side of that equation there's a healthy way to bring jobs to an economy and one of those ways is as a as a municipality whether that be a county or a state or a city or a country to compete for employers and one of the ways that you compete for employers is by lowering your corporate tax rate because you've made a more friendly business environment so one of the things and this is what i was kind of talking about my worry about giving up of our autonomy they're they're in theory you know i'm not one of these um praise dale raise hail taxation is theft guys i i do believe that there is legitimately a requirement for taxation now i i am not convinced that the corporate tax is actually the right way to handle that um personally i don't know that we need corporate tax to accomplish that uh that need for taxation i think that there's a personal tax that could handle that that would be just fine. However, there is there is still the tradition of a corporate tax in America, and that being said, agreeing with these with these member nations that we will not lower our corporate tax rate below a certain percent 
and actually then exceeding that percent by almost double if, if Joe Biden's truly trying to get to 28% corporate mm-hmm. tax rate, um, we've, we've ruined a bit of our autonomy. Effectively, what we said, Hunter, is that in a world where it is vastly important to compete for employers to come in, bring Americans jobs, pay us part of our tax burden, right? right. We can no longer compete with those countries in a price war. We, we cannot say we will make the friendliest environment possible for companies to work here because we all have the same minimum now. I'm not saying that we wouldn't break that agreement. We very well could. But if we abide by agreements like this, then we're not competitive with any of those countries based on tax rate. And there are times, like I was saying, to, to adjust the tax rate for sure. There's times like when you're at war, when you might need a higher tax rate, when we have a a pressing crisis to attend to as a country. Um, And, you know, we haven't been in a situation like that really since World War II, but it's worth thinking about. On the other side of that, there's times to lower the tax rate and and attract talent, like you were saying, attract, attract employers, attract jobs, all of those things. And now we're effectively in a cabal with other countries that say, well, this is the most we'll compete for. It's truly like price fixing in a commodities market. And it's really strange to see these countries doing that. Uh, we're yeah. setting a minimum bar. Yeah. Let's, let's give the devil his due here real quick. Right. Sure. You know, so like, why, why would you want to do this? Well, the thing that the advantage that you create for yourself is, you know, supp- hopefully, you know, the United States and Britain are no longer going to compete over tax revenue that is rightfully America's, right? You know, like, and that, that's in these very much these kingly uh, personas that our politicians have adopted, right? That I'm sure. kind of making that statement. Um, but, but there's a good reason for that, too. And the fact is, like, you know, as an enjoyer of the services that the government provides as a citizen of America— you know, I want all the dollars that the citizens of America are, prov- are are creating as my rightful taxes to go to those services for me. You know, and that's a very selfish statement, too. But but you get what I'm trying to say there is like, why in the world does Jeff Bezos get to take, you know, productive labor that could have been in this country and move it to another country? And then we don't get to realize even the taxes from that. Right. Um that that's essentially the problem these people are trying to solve. Uh, the other thing that gets solved there is if you disenfranchise people um, making their headquarters or making their places of business in other countries with these corporate tax rates, then more of those jobs can go to your citizens, right? Well, that's mm-hmm. a pretty, you know, with, that's actually a little bit of a Trumpian standpoint right there. You know, it may not be, it's a Trumpian goal, maybe not a Trumpian tactic. How's that sound? Sure, yeah. No, it's definitely a, a, a conservative populist goal. Yes, exactly. And and I think those are all fine and good, you know, as far as like reasonable arguments, you know, it it, it makes sense that people would would want those things. Um, the, The question is, you know, what do we really want from our economy? What do we really want from our uh, global relationship with others? If you take a look at the European Union, Chris, and you look what happened there with Brexit, a lot of that was the economics. Is Britain felt like Britain felt like it was getting a bad deal. It felt like it was outcompeting, it was outperforming, and it was being forced to have its hands tied to some extent by um, the other countries. 
Brussels, right? Yeah. It was Brussels was getting non-elected officials that the that Britain hadn't elected uh, in Brussels uh, were basically ruling them from afar, and they just like you mentioned, they felt like they were losing their autonomy, right? Uh, and right, and and this is what's so so strange to me because like if you're giving the devil his due, I'm going to give the devil his don't. Please, if. The, you, all the problems that you just brought up that they're trying to solve can be avoided by out-competing your, your geopolitical opponent. Sure. It, it's never been a good idea to collude by fiat. Like, have the best product, have the best service, have the best tax environment, and attract the best people. There, there's, there's another way to handle it that requires less overhead, less beneficial behavior by other countries, less reduction in your autonomy, less reduction in your ability to compete and so i i i i think truly the reason that they're doing this is because they want to be able to drastically raise tax rates Mm -hmm. because if there's if and that's one of the reasons why this doesn't work so ireland for instance has a 12 percent tax rate 12 percent very healthy corporate tax structure there and I think if you have every other country in that area say, well, we're going to bump the tax rate up to 15% at a minimum. And by the way, America, historically the best place to do business is about to pass 28%. I think you're going to have a bunch of American countries go to Ireland to do business. And you're going to have a bunch of European countries go to Ireland to do business. And great for Ireland. They're going to be raking in the jobs. They're going to be raking in the money. They're going to need to have more immigration. They're going to need to build more houses. I mean, that would be a huge boon for their economy, right? But here's the issue is that do these countries not know that? Are they so, are, are, are our financial advisors so stupid that we think that another smaller economy that's more friendly or several other smaller economies that are more friendly to businesses won't eat our lunch or is there something worse going on here? Do they think that they'll be able to leverage this control more globally? And that's something that I'm genuinely worried about because this doesn't seem to work on its face because the goals that they're trying to achieve, like you just mentioned, which I agree are the problems quote unquote, won't be solved, right? right? It won't be solved unless you have even more countries in the G seven adhering to this stuff. That that's correct. And that's one of the things that, that, on the face of this that makes it so frustrating is because let's just say we all agree that those were important problems to solve right yeah this is a very terrible way to solve those problems this (laughs) doesn't work right you know you're talking about seven countries out of what 180 like you're not even to you know you're 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 not even to three percentage points yet you know what I mean? Like right. you're, you're you're nowhere close to solving the problem here. And you know, I went to Ireland uh, before the pandemic hit. I, I think I think it was in 2019. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, and one of the things that was very common in Ireland is there was a lot of people living there. There are a lot of people who absolutely love the country. A lot of them didn't have jobs. There was no industry in Ireland. And you can see, you know. That kind of makes sense. It's kind of a little country. It's off the mainland, right? It's it's not a uh, you know it, it's struggling. You know, there's not a whole lot in Ireland except for beautiful nature um, and wonderful history and things like that. And but the Blarney Stone, where you can get hepatitis, from, by, but traditionally, traditional hepatitis. That's, that's correct, right. Chris. Um, and but but people were just you know worried about like well where do you get the jobs? And a lot of people moved or were online working in some capacity. Well. 
there's no incentive at all for Ireland to meet a 15% uh, global tax. They, right. They'll never do it. And until somebody forces them, that's an interesting word, until somebody forces them to do that, they're going to stay at 12% or lower to attract those businesses to come there. And it doesn't matter to them because, hey, you know, we may have moved our corporate tax structure to 10%, but we just got three new businesses to sign up here that were never going to come. It's like airplane tickets, right? So mm-hmm. there has to be a there has to be a global force to enforce this. Why? Because taxes have to be enforced at the end of a gun. You have yes. to remember that. You have to remember that because and it's not saying they shouldn't be. It's just saying that they are not enforceable unless there is a gun, right? Why? why oh. Why are you giving? Why are you paying for something that you are getting anyway, unless there's a threat behind not paying for it? Right. I mean, you can you can say altruism will get you so far. Well, altruism occasionally gets you by in your own country, hell, right. in your own family even. But that doesn't work across borders. Across right. borders, altruism is not going to run the day. Right, and I mean, you can even tell that that wouldn't work between Georgia and New York. Right? Yeah, or Florida or, and New York. Right? right, like we're already seeing this this behavior, and, and it takes one country, just like it takes one state. And I think Florida is in the right here. Um, this is why I hate that America is becoming the New York of the global scene. It takes one country, one state, to say we're not raising the tax rates, to to start dismantling the economy of the the other. And, right. and why would America want to put itself in that position? I know not. Yeah, so. no, it's definitely because, you know, it, it, it's it's more than likely because there are some policy wonks um, <laughs> that believe that, you know, a global structure is the goal uh, to a global governance is where we need to move in order to have uh you know, that's our future. That That's how we can alleviate all these problems that we see with taxation and things like that. We can't allow countries to continue to wiggle around our policies and evade, you know, taxation by investing in foreign countries. So we need a, a global governance. Well, you know, then you'll take you'll take the inch. Right. Because you're going for the mile. Right. Sure. And yeah. and I th- and I think that's what you see happening here. And it's these people that probably are very well educated, very intelligent, that are so possessed by their um, by their goal, so to speak, that they can't really that they're that that's what they're aiming for, regardless of the consequences. Right. Yeah. Um, Hunter, I, I hate to let you know that they're, they're not actually that well educated. Janet Yellen was there. Um, oh my mistake! Sorry, sorry to apologies drop that on you. to apologies to Janet Yellen. Hunter, I like what you were saying about the. I like what you were saying about what the goal is, and I want to talk about that. I think before we yeah. do, let's talk about the second pillar here because the second pillar is interesting oh, too, yeah. and also the corporate response to the second pillar is very interesting and very telling, in my opinion. Okay. So the second pillar is this: companies, multinational companies will have to pay taxes where they generate revenue. So, for instance, in its current instantiation, if a French country ships products, I'm sorry, if a French company ships products to America, we pay import taxes or tariffs on those goods, mm-hmm. and then those goods are distributed throughout the United States. So we pay a little bit of taxes on the import, and then we get to enjoy those goods, purchase those goods, distribute those goods. 
in this new scenario, there would be a foreign sales tax effectively levied on sales made in member countries. So instead of basic things like an import tax, there would be a American sales tax levied against French companies who are selling goods in America. And that works both ways. I hope I've made that made that clear. But effectively, these countries that are incorporated in uh, these companies that are incorporated in other countries will have to pay multiple, multiple countries sales tax, which is just not the case right now. It's just not how how tax code is done. But that's the second pillar that the G7 countries signed to. So let me just, I, I love this Italian brand uh, olive oil. It's called Colavita. It's really good. It's my favorite. Sure. Um, I go to Publix. Now, when I purchase that bottle, somebody has paid the import on that. And I just Great. go, I check out, I pay the price that they tell me in the aisle. And then I have to pay sales tax depending on which uh, county so, I live so, in. So I was saying sales tax. That's not exactly correct. Let me, let okay. me be more specific. Okay, thank you. We pay the tariff. Mm-hmm. Uh, a distribution company pays the tariff, right? Right, right. You distribute the olive oil. Then you pay sales tax when you purchase it. But Correct. on their balance sheet, the the Italian company needs to note that it made income in America as well as I other see. places. So true, more accurately, I should say that they're going to pay income tax in multiple countries. Okay. They're, and that's going to result in me, sorry, that's going to result in me paying more money at, at the counter. It just may not come out as a separate tax. Right. Well, for instance, at that point, if you're paying income tax from the country that you're generating revenue in, in theory, you're not pay, paying income tax multiple times for the same amount of revenue, right? And in, in theory, you get to split that up. Um, However, I, I don't think that'll be a perfect system. Okay. As in, let's say you do a million dollars worth of business, 500 in Italy and 500 uh, in the U.S., 500,000 apiece. I don't think you're paying $500,000 worth of income tax in America as well as a million dollars worth of income tax in Italy, right? I think you would split it, the 500, 500. However, that I, I doubt there will be a pure a pure wash in that system i believe you'll just be paying more tax than you were before um at the end of the day and and also here's another problem with america trying to come out with a 28 percent tax rate if you're incorporated in italy and you're paying let's say they're they're running the minimum 15 percent corporate tax rate any product you sell in america is going to get taxed at 13 additional percent that's a huge disincentive for Italy to share products with to the U.S., I mean that's that's a crazy disincentive, and why why would effectively what's happening is this: if you want to buy a product as an American from France or from Italy, the government steps into the center of that transaction and tries to effectively rough an Italian company up for the privilege to sell you a good or service. That is, it's going to result in less trade which equals less specialization, equals higher prices, um, and equals a, a smaller gross domestic product as a result of imports and exports, I mean, as far as I'm concerned. 
I, I don't understand how it could be any other way. We're effectively raising the walls and the barriers between different economies. Hmm. It, it's a very strange, strange policy. And yeah. And especially when you're talking about online businesses that cross borders consistently and and electronically, how do you begin to track things like that? And what can, do you count as revenue? And not not only the complexity of a solution like this and the tax code that would be required. And, and by the way, both of these agreements require individual legislatures to pass laws to to codify them in the different home countries right like it's still a very tenuous tenuous agreement and and not only that but you can think very quickly how complex a statute like that would be in one country and the idea that multiple countries agree on the implementation of that so effectively you're going to have to have tax lawyers for every additional country that you want to sell goods in and that i just can't imagine i can't imagine that selling goods outside of your incorporated country is going to be nearly as profitable as it used to be. I mean, think about all the overhead that that's going to require. Right. You know, and I don't mean to, I'm not a, I'm not a, I don't fear the conspiracy. I I suppose that's stated as the globalist, right? Sure. Um, That's not a real rational fear to me. I do believe because I've heard people say it with their own mouth as recline being one of them. There is a group of young, educated political activists, uh, reporters, journalists that do believe in a global world, right? And one of the things that kind of struck me when you were saying that, Christopher, and is that, you know, uh, it's so hard to figure out how, <laughs> who gets this tax. What we really need is an international body that collects this tax, right? right? And uses, and like you can see that, and then it's like, okay, well, that can get funded by these different uh, countries, right? And then that international body can grow in power it can do more things and you can kind of almost see it as a first step you know like it's regulation creating additional regulation now i don't know if that's what people are consciously thinking i could see someone making that suggestion without ever consciously holding it you know um but i think there's a lot of weird problems there um you know the thing that i think that makes me more frustrated is the fact that is the first pillar right is the we will not make our glo- we will not make our tax lower than this effectively colluding um businesses out of countries uh and forcing and not providing advantages to them um yeah m- mainly- well, see i i feel that this this second pillar actually works hand in hand with that hunter because okay. the first the first pillar is countries collectively bargaining against their constituents right Correct. And, and the businesses that their constituents own but right. the second is just as just as devious. They are they are putting walls around and increasing the barriers to trade for their constituents in, in the, the relative countries. I I think it's both. I think they're both two parts of the same coin. They're making it more expensive to do business across borders and then to set a minimum price of doing business in any of the countries. It just seems like. I don't know a better way to put it. It seems like it seems like collusion. It seems like collective action against against businesses, mm-hmm. and that's a huge problem. One super telling thing, and I think this gets to kind of your point, Hunter, about the the apparent wisdom of a global tax code, or even a global economy, or a global a global government, when it comes to the complexities of these border crossing tax policies. 
there's a bunch of multinational companies that this would affect. There's a bunch of small companies that this would affect too. I mean, some right. some small businesses make their their bones on importing and exporting, especially especially importing and exporting. It's a huge business, right? Um, Amazon, Alphabet, Facebook already came out in support of it. Came out in support of the G7 decision. Why? And well, because they know they're going to survive. Right. They know that they are. They have deeper pockets than the other other companies. It's the same reason that Alphabet is not in favor of net neutrality. Correct. It, you know, in theory, they, they they want to be able to to they want regulation. They want to increase the amount of regulation that they need to comply to because a fix of what they're saying is yes, I'll need to employ more people to comply with this regulation, but there will never be anyone big enough to challenge me. No one else is going to be able to be profitable because they will not be able to achieve the economies of scale that I have achieved. And so when you are here, here's the crazy thing, because this is how, what Biden is telling us. This is what the G7 is telling us. This is what Janet Yellen is telling us when they're talking about this agreement. We have to make sure that these large companies pay their fair share. Right, you've heard it over and over and over again. It's said during the campaign. It's been said many times since that these companies have to pay their fair share. Why are they so unresistant to paying more money? Why are they all coming out in support of this? That is very, very strange. And it's obvious that this does not hurt those large companies. You constantly, constantly demonize those companies. But they all support this measure. There's something rotten in Denmark. And it's it's this. This isn't anti-multinational corporation. This is anti-constituent. It makes it harder for you to get products. It makes it harder for you to run small businesses that cross borders. And Hunter, co countries are the marketplace for companies. They are the, the landscape marketplace just like i can have a job at a company companies can have a job in a country right and when you raise the minimum price of doing business you lower the profitability these multinational companies who need to pay their fair share and and, and promote this woke message of the evil corporation haranguing the little individual when they all come out and say, yes, big thumbs up, big thumbs up to paying more taxes in different countries, you're obviously full of crap somewhere. And the, I think the somewhere is precisely that this does, this increases your perception of being woke. It increases your ability to, to control economies. It increases your ability to leverage it increases your as a politician it increases your ability to leverage the necessity of the government because it's going to make americans and and other g7 constituents less rich less profitable less able to run and operate a business and therefore more reliant and that's the, a big worry to me the the it's it's obvious that these large companies are not concerned with empowering individuals it's sure it's, it's it's nothing's more obvious than that because if they cared about the people that worked for them if they cared about the people who were invested in them the small people right 
there's nothing stopping them from raising their salaries um, and opposing these tax rates. There's nothing stopping them from opposing these tax rates. So the individuals that work in their companies uh, can have better access to goods and services. There's 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 nothing stopping them from not putting their jobs overseas to invest in their own country's exactly. uh, employer, employer, em, employees, right? Whenever Bill Gates says, I wish I was taxed more or something like that, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll figure out a way to give more money, Bill. No, you can cut, right. a, che- you can cut a check to the Fed right now. Right Correct. now. You could do it today or, or to the Internal Revenue Service. You can cut them a check for any amount and they will cash it. You don't have to owe them money to pay them. That's right, Hunter. And you can raise the minimum wage to $25 if you want. You can choose, no matter what the climate, not to move your your business out of America. This is the point, right? They don't want to make things better for for their employees. They don't want to make things better for the little guy. They don't care about that. They want to eliminate competition. They want to do it because they know you can't. That's the only purpose. Otherwise, they could do it today. Right. The reason that the companies like Facebook, Google, and Amazon pay and Apple pay exorbitant prices for small startups, right? Yes. Why does that happen? Well, one is because you never know which one of those startups is going to be worth a billion dollars, and you want that a part of your company. Well, that makes a lot of sense. The other thing is, if you buy up all the people that could potentially be your competitors, you have no competitors, right? And this is another way that... Um, capitalism is eaten by corporatism, yes, right? Absolutely. And it's it's a it's a new problem for us to have to solve in capitalism. It appears to be one of its weak points. Is that one thing that you know, capitalist economies have difficulty uh, working against or dealing with is when um, companies agree to colludes probably too strong a word, but work with the government to preserve their own interests, right? Right, and and you know it's it's not really a, a market principle problem it is a it is a big government problem yes it, it, it's a problem when the government is large enough to significantly affect the bottom line of a of a business right yeah um and it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing too right like, oh sure if you have a lot of really powerful companies right then you probably have a very large and powerful government right like you know like it's kind of well, Yes, yes and no. Like you obviously are going to have more revenue if you have a percentage based tax system, right? Correct. But yes. but then at the same time, perhaps the reason that you got those companies is because you did what you could to keep the government rather small. So it is kind of paradoxical. It is. Um, yeah, I, and but but definitely it seems like when both exist, yes. uh, it doesn't seem to have a solution to getting rid of them. Um, and you, uh, getting rhythm is a strong word. Amazon does a lot of good for a lot of people. It provides goods and services at a low cost, right? Sure. Excellent. More people are becoming richer because of Amazon, right? More I mean, people are they're living, a massive employer. Massive employer. More people are affluent because of Amazon. More people have more access to more information in the history of mankind because of Alphabet, right? Um, yes. It's, it's not to degrade the amazing wonders uh, that these companies have provided. What is interesting, though, is that these companies, despite having done that, they're they're not motivated by those accomplishments, right? They're not motivated by those um, 
feats, so to speak. They're motivated by their survival. They're motivated by ensuring they continue. Similar problem that we were discussing last week, Christopher, with Fauci and the government, right? And how the government has kind of fumbled the gain-of-function research, right? Yeah. They're, they're, More they to are, come on that. More to come. <laughs> they're, they're interested in preserving th- themselves, right, at the expense of who, right? Whoever. Um, right, whoever. And, and, you know, whether that's your startup, whether that's um, your access in the market, whether that's your ability to make a company and have it do business in internationally, which is pretty easy to do thanks to the Internet. Um, it, I'll put it this way. It's easier to do than it ever was before, um, you know, and there's plenty of people that make their bread and butter there. Um, but, yeah, no, these uh, there, there's a lot of problems here, and it's, it's, it's concerning because uh, we continue to see access and freedom encroached upon um, by both um, a larger and grossing federal government, right? Mm-hmm. And companies that continue to not promote its values. You know, one of the things I thought that was so interesting, Christopher, when was, and I, ha- and I don't know exactly how to think about this, but when China, uh, at the start of the pandemic, had pretty much the world by the throat as it came to manufacturing PPE. Yeah. You know, well, if you just took a minute to discuss that on a whiteboard, you would see a problem, right? right? You know, and we, we, we weren't there because everything was working fine so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that we are beginning to see more and more of, you know, how research was restricted, how China was lying, how our government wasn't willing to take them to task, you know, there is a moral component to the markets themselves, too. Right. And there and it's a difficult, you know, capitalism, for the most part, in my experience with it, and I think most people's experience, it is it is a system that creates its function by pointing human greed in a useful direction. Right. Um, and not a rent-seeking direction. And yeah, well, like, uh, you, we all remember the great Soviet telecom companies, right, Hunter? Right, right. Uh, vodka, uh, vodka 2. I mean, what, um, do we, what do we import from them? Nothing. Right. We, right. we export everything from them. Or, right. or to them, because, because greed is a powerful motivator. And, and it's not just greed. There is altruism involved, too. But you can't tell people to... to abandon self-interest at all points throughout the day when we live in a world that kills people that aren't self-interested yes and i think what you're you know so one of the things too that i'm trying to bring up here is you know there are certain moral problems that are we're now experiencing in our burgeoning capitalist system and i'm sure they've been there in smaller respects before and it's going to be very interesting um, how free market people deal with those moving forward. And I, I would say, Christopher, this, this goes to one of the things we started the show a long time ago, is this is a lack of a moral center, right? You know, this is the same thing of, our, of a, de- a democratic republic, right? It's for a moral people, right? It's, mm. for, it, it, it's, it's assumed that this people agree with these starting points before they come here capitalist operates in that same way too because what it says is you will be a good person and you will make a profit by your greed right and and like and it's there's 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 a 
difficult balancing act that's happening there, right? Um, just like, you know, democratic republics can essentially control other people through mob rule if they so choose, right? And and that's that's essentially the power in a democratic republic, well, right? Well, it's, Is al- the mob it's almost like the, it relies on a couple of very specific breakpoints. Because the general principle of capitalism is that you don't have to be a good person. You can be motivated by greed. However, if you're a decision maker, you can't choose to break the law, right? And and companies do choose to break the law, and sometimes they make a bunch of money by choosing that. And maybe it works out for them in the long run, maybe it doesn't. But you need the market of itself doesn't provide you the moral center, right? There's breaking points at moral lines in the same way that the government works, works. The you know, a democratic republic actually cannot operate by mob rule unless those, yes. because it's a republic, not a democracy, unless those people in those critical break points choose yes. to operate immorally, right? Yes. And so that's that's yes. kind of the, that that's where it comes back to this point of for, for a moral, for a moral people, yes, right? There's, exactly. there are, it's a system that generalizes and, and simplifies the vast, vast, vast majority of interactions, but there are there are obviously points of usurpation, and, and then generalize that out to a global economy that's become increasingly usurpatious. And I think we're starting to see some really troubling, troubling goings on. And I think that the two pillars of this G seven agreement are perfect examples of that. They are they are anti consumer. And anti-consumer means anti-constituent, you know, and they're they're being they're being backed by these governments. Um, and who for, who knows to what end? You know, mm-hmm. who can really say to what end? I think I I think in America the end is obviously politically motivated to say that we held large multinational corporations to account, and ignoring as much as possible the fact that all these m- large multinationals are saying, "Yep, thanks, guys, appreciate that." And I, I think the I honestly think the individual is going to be left with the bag. So hmm. let's just wrap up maybe by saying this is just an agreement made by diplomatic heads. Yeah, this would still have to be codified in laws in all of the member legislatures and, and bodies. Seems unreasonable. It seems unlikely that this will happen. Um, it, it maybe the fifteen percent since that's such an easy bar to achieve, even though corporate tax rates are calculated differently depending on what method you're using. Um, mm. Regardless of that fact, the the paying tax in the area where your where your revenue is generated that seems almost intractable to me. So we'll see what happens, but it's worthwhile now to pay attention to these attempts at global anti-consumerist collusion. I don't think there's a need to find a different way to say that. Um, so so it's it's worth being informed. It's worth taking an interest, maybe, maybe talking to your officials about how you feel about decisions like this. Uh, there is a, there is an end game here in theory. There, 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 if you extrapolated this policy out to its furthest logical conclusion, what we've done is the, the complete integration of the world economy. That's the logical endpoint of policies like this. And that is a huge, huge problem. And the problem, it's a problem because the 
effects of decisions would be delocalized. And we, we specifically have a Democratic Republic in America to prevent the, the issues rising from that problem. The secondarily, and perhaps, perhaps more seriously, we would, we would forfeit the competition in the marketplace for corporations. And when you do not make a government compete against other governments as being a friendly, healthy, useful place to live, they might not be. And we've seen governments that said no one can leave, right? Like the Soviet Union, like Maoist China, the, the borders are the borders, like North Vietnam, like North Korea. No one can go elsewhere to seek their happiness. No one can go elsewhere to seek their fortune. It is not a good position to put yourself in. And unifying the, the whole world economy into one unit is no different than putting walls around the entire world. And I'm not saying that, that this is a conspiracy. I'm saying that policies like this lead towards that. It is a step in that direction away from the, the opposite which is an individual collection of states where you can compete on tax rates and prices and, and natural resources and ease of access on importing and exporting, et cetera, ad nauseum. So, so I, can, I, think, I think one thing, too, is that, and this is true for a lot of different countries, I, I think, but my government exists by the power of the people, for starters, and as one of those people... I expect it to act on my interests, right? Right, And not only that, I expect to be able to elect the people to that government that I think are going to fulfill my interests, right? Or are going to go after those as strongly as possible. Now, I realize there's other people involved there, and that's what happens, you know, in the uh, halls of Congress and things like that to work out all those problems on my behalf, right? You know, I don't, I'm not greedy in that, you know. In theory, yeah. (laughs) Right, in theory. That's what's supposed to be happening. But, you know... My government is not there to create the world's best interests. You know, I don't want that. I, I, I think, you know, it, it, it's imperative that we have different people speaking up for different individuals because we will miss stuff in the noise of trying to be God, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And we we have to ensure that, you know, that right isn't, is, is not taken from the people that have it, right? And a lot of these countries are countries like that that have democracies that allow for their citizens to have a voice in how they're ruled and derive their power from the citizenry, not from and, and, and God, you know, and, you know, and, and all of that. And to, to simply let that ground be taken because the people in charge got together in a room and, and colluded on their own interests in their own behalf so that they could have more tax revenue. Absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not allowed. Uh, uh, that's a good way to say it, Hunter. It's not the case against anti-globalist ruminations. It's the proactive case or the prescriptive case for global federalism. Yes. And, yes. and I think that that's worth thinking about and worth, worth fighting for and uh, at, at a minimum worth being informed. So that was fun. I think I think I learned more uh, looking into this episode and listening to you, Hunter, than I have in many episodes in a while, where I just come I come in with the unvarnished truth directly from the start. <laughs> uh, so That's funny. I appreciate that. 
I if, enjoyed it, buddy. If you'd like the unvarnished truth, here it is. You're fat. Go to FNX Whoa. Fit right now, immediately. Carlpooling.com slash FNX. You know you've gained that COVID-30. Uh, yeah, it's ballooning <laughs> so on gross. you, much like it's your waistline. So, so go to the website right now, carlpooling.com slash FNX. Buy yourself something. For the love of God, buy yourself something. And when you do, you check out code carlpooling for 15% off. That's the bloody show, friends. Um, follow us at carlpooling on all the social medias. Hunter's at Emotional Carl. I'm at Chris X Carl. You can send us an email at carlpooling at gmail.com. Visit our website, carlpooling.com. Big news. We're in the works on releasing the second podcast in the carlpooling family of podcasts. Uh, it's a real banger. I've gotten to to uh, sneak peek at the first episode. Here's a secret. I'm not. Re- I'm barely on it. You're gonna love that about it. it it's <laughs> it's actually just silence. I turn my microphone on and leave the house. And when I come back, you can hear a couple doors slam, and I swear at something, and then and then turn the microphone off. You're, it's a great show. You're gonna love it. Just kidding. We're not gonna announce it yet. But uh, just a little, a tiny little teaser, Hunter. Anything? A tiny tease. Yeah, that my favorite part about that podcast with you on it is the fact that after you've left the house, there's just maybe about the minute 27 mark, there's just a couple of wet yawns into the microphone. <laughs> um, and so, <laughs> so I think people will really enjoy yeah. uh, that. You know, something to look forward to. My, my apartment exists only in the Heinlein dimension. And it, it, it's quite horrific at all times. So anyway, I uh, appreciate you guys listening. Thanks for hanging out with us. Get out of here. Enjoy your day. If you start feeling run down in any way, simply a- approach your locus, no. your, your most local physician and get tested. <laughs>